0: Hello, my name is Daniel Nenny, founder of SemiWiki, the open forum for semiconductor professionals. Welcome to the Semiconductor Insiders podcast series. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please post it on semiwiki.com and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Nick Iliadis, Vice President of Product Planning at Acronix. Prior to Acronix, Nick was Vice President of Portfolio and Technology Strategy at Marvell Semiconductor and Vice President and CTO, Group CTO at Broadcom. Nick has also held many engineering roles during his career, starting as chip designer and moving up through the management to lead both device and product engineering teams. Nick is passionate about technology and a prolific inventor with 75 issued patents across all aspects of wired and wireless communications. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. A pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. So the first question I'd like to ask is, what first brought you to semiconductors? Do you have an interesting story you can share with us, Nick?
1: I do, actually. Um, so I was uh, going to college for electrical engineering. And uh, uh, my third year, I was uh, at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And I had a co-op job at uh, the Kodak Research Laboratories. And the uh, team that I was working with was working on some of uh, the early image enhancement uh, technology for you know, processing uh, film images. And they were developing uh, their, these hardware algorithms on uh, like, uh, ASICs, or you know, these called gate arrays in those days from LSI Logic. And uh, the team was working on one of those, and I got involved in you know, the work they were doing. And this uh, device had 1,000 gates on it, which at the time was like, wow, 1,000 you know, logic gates, you know, what you could do with it, right? You could actually uh, look down and could actually see the transistors almost. So that got me interested in the uh, in the whole field of microelectronics. Uh, Kodak also had a small semiconductor uh, fab on that in that facility to do imaging sensors. So I, I got to learn about the, the whole you know processing aspect of it as well. So that that launched me into the, the whole semiconductor
0: industry. Oh, wow, Kodak, you don't hear that name much anymore. My family's from Rochester, so we know it well. But uh, that's quite interesting. So what yeah, brought you have- to Chronix?
1: So um, I had been working in uh, the semiconductor space, you know, uh, at system companies and then Broadcom and then Marvell and I worked, uh, you know, mostly on switches and and mix and all these other networking devices, routers, wireless slant, the whole nine yards. But in my career, I'd never actually worked on an FPGA. I'd done a lot of, uh, you know, custom designs and things like that. So I, uh, when, you know, the Chronix approached me and I was learning about the, the company and the technology, I said, hey, this is something that I could actually, you know, after all these years, I learned something new and, and, and have an impact on some other area in, in the industry that I hadn't uh, worked on before. And, um, you know, I was uh, assigned to the chief technologist when I came on board to, as a kind of a so called internship. And uh, in about three months And he goes, yeah, boy, you pick things up real fast. So now I'm the uh, vice president of product planning.
0: Let's talk about Chiplets. Uh, how do Chiplets contribute? To creating multi-die systems, and what are the primary use cases for chiplet technologies in your view, Nick?
1: Oh, the uh, the multi-die systems. The, the whole idea here is you want to create uh, building blocks that allow you to build uh, various uh, varieties of package devices. I mean, at, at a package level, uh, utilizing the uh, chiplets, you can. Uh, or, you know, Arrange them in such a way that you can, at the package level, have different uh, characteristics based upon the, the the chiplets that are inside the, the, the package. And so, and one of the use cases that then contribute to this is things like uh, I/O technology, meaning that you know if if you have a processor and it needs to have high-speed I/O, whether it be PCIe, Ethernet, or, or some other technology. Uh, That technology may be on a different uh, maturity curve, development curve than the, let's say, the processor uh, that's that's in that same package, right? So the uh, the ability to have, let's say, IO chiplets and processor chiplets uh, allow you to decouple the the two technology curves from each other so that even that IO chiplet could be used uh, on the next generation or that processor chiplet can be used on the next generation. So it allows you to have different trajectories in the, Uh, implementation of specific functionality that's inside of those packages. So it gives you the ability to create uh, variants, it gives you the ability to decouple different types of technologies from each other so they don't have to all be available at the same time on the same process node. And it gives you the ability to create uh, different variants uh, that you you can put at different performance and price points in in the marketplace.
0: So P elaborates on the role of UCIE IT in accelerating the chiplet ecosystem, and how does Zirconix plan to engage with other companies to create chiplets, uh, such as you know, RISC-V and AI and LP DDR5? Sure. Uh, so
1: UCIE is a standard that's, under, you know, that's been formed by a, a group of companies, including Intel, AMD, uh, NVIDIA, and others. So it has the backing of all the major semiconductor uh, designers. It also has the backing of companies like TSMC. And, and samsung so the you know the uh the fab guys are involved in it as well and it's also some uh, end user system companies with uh, the googles of the world so the whole idea here is to create a standardized chiplet to chiplet or die to die interface that all the companies can uh, design around such that there is uh, compatibility at a die to die level uh, between chiplets that are manufactured by different companies such that they're you know have uh, a guarantee and interoperability. And so this provides uh, a way to allow companies to develop chiplets in their own um, areas of expertise and uh, you know, capabilities. And then through a standardized interface, be able to uh, connect to chiplets from other companies that have you know, their own uh, uh, capabilities. Um, so you know that it comes just like PCIe today is a standardized uh, bus interface for uh, servers and, and even uh, you know, uh, home computers, UCIE becomes a standardized interface for uh, chiplets. Uh, there's there's some other standards that, that are out there. A bunch of wires is another one that's uh, gotten some traction. There's some older ones. Uh, some of them are more proprietary than others. But uh, UCIE and, and, and in some parts, a bunch of wires have become the two forefront uh, technologies and they are have different attributes. So, you know, you can see UCIE being used in some use cases and a bunch of wires being used in other use cases. And then how does Achronix um, uh, engage in companies that actually build these other chiplets? So, you know, so for us, you know, FPGA, we're an FPGA company, we're not, we're not a risk five company, we're not uh, a uh, memory controller company. So the whole idea here is that to Identify uh, packaged-level devices that where a, a FPGA chiplet would add value to a system. So, in, in the case of a, a processor subsystem that would need some sort of flexible processing capabilities for doing, let's say, uh, radio signal processing, or, or maybe some sort of uh, AI/ML workload, the FPGA can be that programmable part of the, the, the device as a as an FPGA chiplet that's attached to the other chiplets utilizing
0: a standardized interface. All right, you know, this is really complex stuff. Uh, you know, some reports say developers will be able to start developing in early 24 with chiplets and silicon becoming available in the first half of 2025. I mean, what is your view? You know, can you provide some insights into the key factors that determine this timeframe and, and what challenges might be involved in achieving it?
1: So if you think about chiplets in general, companies like AMD have been doing chiplets now for several generations because if you look at their, uh, their processor devices, they tend to be built out of multiple dies that are interconnected using some sort of die to die interconnect. So the whole idea of a chiplet or the whole, you know, you know concept of a chiplet is already in the marketplace because we'll come to AMD, Intel, and others are already utilizing that, uh, that technology. But the whole idea of a standardized chiplet uh, interface and a standardized chiplet offering is something that's just starting to become a reality here. Um, there's a chiplet summit next week in uh, Santa Clara uh, where Acronix is a participant a sponsor and uh, we had the first one last year uh, and it, it was really exciting because it was it's full of companies kind of talking about chiplets uh, There was a couple of uh, technology demonstrations and then this year you know a year later we're coming back and now the company is talking about the chiplets they have on their roadmaps, and there's even more technology presentations so the um the industry is getting momentum uh i you know under nda i'm engaged with uh, various either end customers or uh, partners that are either developing chiplets or want to develop chiplets for specific use cases so the uh the momentum is building The IP is now available from, you know, many of the uh, IP providers out there. And so it's, uh, you know, we're basically now in that execution phase where, you know, companies are off building things that will find their way into, uh, you know, packaged devices probably in the 25, 26 timeframe. Now, the challenges with this are obviously that, uh, you know, all the interoperability, right? So one of the things that you, can do, let's say like with PCIe, is that it's, you know, it's a card, you plug into a server, you can look at the signals, figure out why things are not working, you can make adjustments. When the technology is inside of a package, that observability and kind of uh, debugging gets, gets more complex. And even in um, packaging technology, there's really two kind of uh, directions you can go in. There's the what we call standard packaging, that's based on organic substrate so those kind of bump pitches are about 110 micron bump pitch and you know lines that are you know tens of uh, microns apart whereas what's called advanced packaging can have uh, the uh, packaging bumps inside the package down be down around 45 uh, micro uh, microns in terms of pitch and you can have lines that are two microns uh, with two micron spacing so observability down there becomes much more challenging the whole interoperability and, and debug of you know, having two chiplets that are come from two different design houses and, and manufacturing talking to each other is going to be one of the, the challenges that are going to have to be overcome in the near term.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, AMD has been doing chiplets internally, which which is a big milestone. But Intel has now combined chiplets from different fabs, right? So they have chiplets from their own fab and they have chiplets from TSMC in the same chip and so that, that's another big milestone, right?
1: It is, yes, that heterogeneous uh, integration, right, of a chiplet from TSMC and a chiplet from Intel's fab, and maybe a chiplet from another third party, right, that they may have uh, contracted with, right, that has uh, technology that that Intel doesn't, you know, the, maybe the TSMC is an Intel design, but it's built at TSMC. But if it's a third party design that Intel has, you know, either acquired the the chiplet from, or has, you know, uh, uh, contracted out the development of it. Then you got that that whole, you know, mix and match for, uh, coming from different sources, and how do you guarantee interoperability? So I think that's the next hurdle that's uh, going to be have to be overcome is not just designing a chiplet but making sure that that chiplet will work in, in all the desired uh, use cases that it's was destined.
0: So the long-term promise of chiplet technology is for smaller companies to create their own multi-die systems, right? So how does the availability of chiplet IP as described in, in these articles enable smaller companies to benefit from this technology? And what advantage does it offer in terms of time to market and cost savings? Uh,
1: so when we say uh, chiplet IP, we're, 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 now I'm going to talk about the actual chiplets themselves, not the, uh, the IP that goes into the chiplets. I mean, that's like the UCI interfaces and things like that. So, if you're talking about that, that's like you know designing a chiplet. But if you're trying to design a, let say, packaged device that has, let's say, a chiplet from my company in it as well as chiplets that I've acquired from the you know the open market. Let's call it right, the the, the chiplet economy right, right there. Um, then the idea here is that I don't have to go and design those chiplets. They're they're off the shelf. I'm using air quotes here because right now off the shelf is still a very, I would call it distant promise uh, due to just a lot of the complexity that I just mentioned. The whole idea here is that if I have, a, you know, some IP, but I, you know, want a couple of two, you know, interfaces or processors or memory controllers, rather than going and licensing that IP and then and developing the chip myself and integrating all that, I will then you know, contract to buy a chiplet that has that functionality or chiplet that have that functionality and then do the integration at a package level. So this is very similar to you know when companies build a board-level product that has a you know a CPU from company I and a you know memory uh set from you know another company and, and you know chips from another company and they put them all together on a PC board and that becomes their product. What we've now done is collapse that PC board down into a package. And, you know, the the interconnect is no longer been done in, you know, PC board routing, what, inside the package routing. And the interfaces, you know, are collapsed down to much higher speeds because now you're working at these uh, smaller geometries inside the package in terms of uh, capacitive load and, um, you know, interconnect. attenuation and now you can, you know, run these interfaces much, much faster. So you're, you're by collapsing the system, you're also improving the, you know, the overall uh, performance. So it allows a small company to build one device and then leverage devices from other companies to build their overall system. Now, they're obviously paying, you know, some margin for those chips. But if you kind of do your business plan, you say, well, the, the margin I'm paying this company is offsetting what engineering investment I would have to make in developing the chiplet myself, right? So that's the the business trade offs you have to account for is that if I'm buying chiplets in the open market, there's obviously margin that I'm I'm paying to the the developer manufacturer of that chiplet, but that margin is offsetting uh, my internal development costs for that that chiplet and any potential issues I may run into, you know, that that company's resolved. it changes the kind of the economics and approach that you, a company would take to build a package device from trying to do it all themselves to doing the part that they have, you know, their intellectual property and, and leveraging others' chiplets to, you know, to fill in the rest of
0: the system. What I've seen and what I've heard is that chiplets are going to reduce the cost of design dramatically. So I'm, I'm hoping that's the case, but uh, we'll see. So mm-hmm. which technologically advanced features are chiplets enabling in FPGAs?
1: So um, in the case of companies like our like, like FPGA the ability to build larger FPGAs using chiplets is one key benefit of a uh, chiplet technology and uh, our, my, my competitors today are using similar approaches so this is not something you know a big, a big secret you know, AMD, Xilinx uh, uh, has their ultra scale and versatile products that are built upon a you know, a chiplet like architecture where you can, you know, get a a single, what uh, they call SLR, and then add a second SLR to get double the capacity and the third one to get triple the capacity. In the case of AMD, I'm sorry, in the case of Intel, they have their tiles and the ability to add different types type of IO tiles onto their base FPGA to create different variants. So both of my uh, major competitors today are using chiplets, again, with proprietary interfaces in their portfolios. So you can envision that Acronix is uh, pursuing a similar path. I I really can't uh, go into much more detail here other than uh, our our next generation will be a uh, chiplet enabled uh, architecture. So that's the one key thing is the ability to basically build FPGAs of, of varying sizes and ca- capacities by using, you know, chiplets as a building blocks, right? Um, the other thing that it allows you to do is, you know, have the ability to run very high speed connection between these chiplets, right? So if you had the two FPGAs, if just say, I want to double the FPGA and I had to put two FPGAs down on, on the PC board and then try to figure out ways to, you know, interconnect them, you're obviously gonna have limitations there But by building the FPGAs as a chiplet with very high capacity connection between them. You can now Create what would appear much more of a as a monolithic entity or device than having you know two devices that are just sitting next to each other. So I think that's the other the other benefit that FPGA that can benefit from chiplet technology.
0: Right. You know the collaboration between Fraunhofer and Acronix focuses on the use of eFPGA for building heterogeneous chips and exploring chip-to-chip in, you know transaction layer interconnects and such. You know what applications and industries benefit from such chip-to-chip interconnect technology and, and how does it impact high-speed analog to digital converters um, and, and such in you know sp- specific use cases like uh, radars and other communication systems?
1: So CrowdHopper is uh, licensing this technology to build a, you know, a chiplet that they can then couple to these different uh, uh, front ends let's call them right and the whole idea here is that um, the front ends can be different you know, A-to-D converters, different signal processing, uh, you know, uh, capabilities, and the FPGA chiplet provides a flexible back-end to do the processing. So let's say you have, uh, you know, two chiplets that are, you know, A-to-D converters, and you know, they both have the same back-end interface, but one A-to-D converter is, let's say, uh, 12-bit, and can run at, you know, 40 gigasamples per second. The other one is, you know, 16-bit and can run at, you know, 20 gigasamples per second. So now they have different, you know, num- you know, num- numerical formats, different data rates. And so how you process that data is maybe different between, you know, the one that's, you know, 40 uh, gigasamples and 20 gigasamples. So the ability to reprogram the backend processing of that, of that, you know, uh, digital stream turn off that AV converter gives you flexibility that you can now you know, customize uh, the particular uh, package device, you know, based upon, you know, what it needs in terms of, of back-end processing and that back-end processing may have to support different, you know, formats that are coming across, you know, different, you know, uh, uh, bit resolutions and, and, and dynamic ranges. So all that being uh, reprogrammable in the FPGA to basically, uh, you know, to dial it in for what the particular front-end chiplet is, you know, it gives you a lot of flexibility and then you can, build a lot of, let's say different, uh, test cases, you know, with different you know, front ends based upon the end market that you're targeting. And so in the case of these like radar and communication systems, uh, it, it gives you the ability to, uh, you know, purpose build a specific signal processing chain inside the FPGA that may be specific to that, that use case. Right. So, and a lot of the signal processing, uh, cannot be done in software. Cannot be done by a, let's say, a uh, a processor that is, you know, it fetches and it fetch execute kind of a von Neumann machine because it's not fast enough, right? So you end up having to implement digital signal processors and other, you know, uh, filters and things like that in uh, digital logic. You know, basically, it's it's not a Programmable device. Okay. It is a purpose-built signal processing chain that's got you know logic and flip-flops and you know the whole nine yards. So that's what the FPGA allows you to do is build high-performance backends to these uh, analog-to-digital front ends that are reprogrammable based upon the use case and, and, and what analog front end is uh, coupled to it.
0: Interesting. You know, efforts to use. EFPGA for building heterogeneous chiplets represent a new era of FPGA chiplet integration. Um, in what ways do you foresee FPGA chiplet integration evolving in the future? You know, especially in the context of edge IoT, AI, and ML markets. You know, as mentioned in um, you know in your articles.
1: Yeah, so we always we uh, we view this as the uh, flexibility chiplet, right? And so let's say you're you're building a uh, an AI, AI ML platform and it has to be able to work with different types of uh, neural networks and has to work with different types of input stimulus in terms of you know, to doing voice imaging, you know, uh, stock prices, what, whatever the, 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 the data that it's, it's processing is. The having a, you know, you can have dedicated neural network processing engines in there but you can also augment that with an FPGA chiplet that has some you know, ML inference capabilities in terms of uh, math engines, but that are inter- interconnected with an FPGA fabric that allows you to build the neural networks that you know anything you can conceive of because it's all fully reprogrammable, where in some of the, let's say, purpose-built AI ML, the, the neural network is kind of you know, limited or predefined, or it's uh, it, it's one of these uh, SIMD machines where you've got single instruction, multiple data where everything's, you know, every piece of it is doing the same, you know, exact uh, type of calculation, where the FPGA allows you to do much more flexible neural networks. And also in some cases can also be used to do some pre and post processing that uh, may not be well suited for something like a GPU or or, uh, NPU and and network uh, uh, neural processing unit. Uh, You know, let's say there's some pre-coding or scaling or dynamic range, or even number format, uh, Conversions, you can do all those in the uh, uh, FPGA uh, very flexible, right? So, so adding an FPGA chiplet to one of these AIML platforms it, it provides you with these, you know, these additional level of flexibility and uh, reprogrammability. So it may provide that device a much broader market reach in terms of areas that it can address, or it may give it a longer lifetime in the market. Hey,
0: thank you for your time, Nick. Uh, great conversation and I will definitely be spending time with uh, Chronics at the Chiplet Summit.
1: I look forward to seeing you there and uh, thank you for taking time to talk with
0: me today. That concludes our podcast. Thank you all for listening and have a great day.